So, if I'm being honest with you this morning, you know, a lot of times the we see the preacher people. I don't know how which I want to call them. I try not to call myself a preacher, but t- truthfully, we're all preachers and ministers of the gospel if you're in Christ, right? Amen. Scotty said it this morning pretty good. He said you're supposed to be ready in season and out of season. So you're all we're all ministers of the gospel. If you're in Christ, you're all preachers. And uh, just not all of us are called to be pastors, amen. <laughs> not all of us are, are made to hear all the problems out there. But I do want to say pray for your pastors and pray for your preachers. Because if there's ever a time, it's right now, that it's, it's rough. Uh, we're facing, in the church, preachers who are bowing down to unbiblical doctrines, who are, who are leaving the faith. By, and by leaving the faith, I mean they're still going to a building, but they're not holding to the Word of God anymore. And that's leaving the faith. If anybody, like Paul said in Galatians, if any man comes to you preaching any other gospel outside of what we have preached to you, which is Christ and Him crucified, let that person be accursed. Um, just to kind of give you guys a, an update, I was, I was seeing a church in Texas that has changed all the, uh, I guess, gender pronouns of God to mother and her. They were singing an old hymn and was singing heart like a mother, and they said the Lord's Prayer and said, Our mother who art in heaven. And see, to the world, that looks like something. T- they're like, that's good. That's, that's movement. And people like to say, well, you can't put God in a box. But I'm here to tell you, God put himself in a box when he called himself Father. It's not demeaning. It's not a, an outlash against women by any means. Because trust me, I just thank my wife. I don't know where I'd be without my wife. Women are designed to do things that men can't do. And men are designed to do things that women can't do. But God called himself Father for a reason. God put himself in a box and said, this is the way I'll be worshipped. And we're not to bend that. So let's worship as that today. Today, I got this message, actually, or the Lord gave it to me, because uh, right around Easter, a book came in the mail. I had bought a book or a Bible, and a book came in with it. And I was really pumped up because it was a children's book about the crucifixion and the passion story. And I was pumped about it because this particular company has really been doing a good job putting out publications for children to really get them to understand. And it's not your normal, what you're used to hearing. It's like teachings on God, God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And this one was on Passion Week about Christ and Him crucified. And so I was going through it, vetting it, and which is something we all need to do. If you've got books coming into your home, you need to be looking at them to make sure that your kids are reading things that are godly and not. Because I'm telling you, they're slipping it in there. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I go to a Barnes & Noble, and it's terrible, but I go to the children's section, and I start thumbing through to find all the stuff that they're trying to feed our kids. And I know that sounds aggressive to some, but it's where we're at today. It's where we're at. And, uh, but in there, the guy who wrote the book had this awesome statement about how we live our life, and he said, we are in constant view of one question that was asked to Mary, and that's, do you believe this? Do you truly believe this? And I want you to think about that. Because when you look up the meaning of the word believe, it means to regard as right or true. It's something you hold to be fact. 
is something you hold to be undeniable and unchanging. Are y'all okay? Is this thing making any, quite a bit of noise on y'all? Okay. I was hearing it with what little peach fuzz I have. <laughs> but, but it's something you regard as right or true. And in John chapter 11, I'm going to let y'all flip there if you got your Bibles or your iPhones with you this morning. I'm hoping to, uh, to really napalm you this morning with Scripture. If you've ever heard me speak, you know I like to use a ton of Scripture, so just please stick with me. I promise it'll, it'll be worth it. Hey, is any, and let me ask this. I know I'm that guy that chases squirrels up here, but is anybody cold in here this morning? Okay, the fans just must be just blowing on me then. Because every time I step back, I'm going, is that the Holy Ghost? Nope, that's the AC. <laughs> so, but starting in John chapter 11, starting in verse 17, we find here where it says, so when Jesus came, he found that they had already been, that he, being Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now, to give you a backstory here, this is Christ going to the tomb where Lazarus was. Can you hear me still? Are we good? Fix it. I was going to say, it feels like it's giving me a little trouble this morning. Do I need to just kind of swallow this dang thing? They're in the sound booth telling me, yeah, just stick it in your mouth. All right. Are we we getting there? Are we there? All right. We're going to stay. We're going to stay right here. We're good. All right. So to give you a little bit of backstory here, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead right now. Lazarus has been dead four days. And on top of that, when Christ heard about Lazarus being dead, he said, I'll be right there, and then waited two more days. That's, you know, how many of you would like that if someone's like, yeah, I'll be right there. I'm that guy, typically. I'll be there. Two hours later, I'm there. But he's on his way. He finally arrives, and when he shows up to the place, I'll tell you what, can we get a cordless mic ready? I think I might be fixing to lose my salvation up here on this thing. All right, here we go. There we go. All right, glory be to God there. All right, now that we're there, back to the story. All right, so when Jesus came, he had found it had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. See, this is, this is so good right here. Like she, she acknowledges if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know you can do whatever you ask. And so Jesus responds back, great. He says, okay, your brother will rise again. And Martha, like so many of us, refused to believe the direct words he says and tries to come up with what we would call rational thinking, human thinking. And she says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, this is a great comeback here, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what I want to hone in right there is do you believe this? And I want to make this point here that when you believe something, it changes you. It changes the way you respond and react to that given thing. When I was four, I burned my hand on a stove and couldn't go to Disneyland. That's a true story. So now, naturally, 
I respect the stove. I've learned to believe that if I touch it, it's going to burn me, right? I respect that it has changed the way I approach that thing now. And I'm afraid many Christians in here say that we believe. Maybe we believe God. Maybe we believe that, that if we, that we die, we're going to go to heaven and stuff. We say we do, but we don't walk our lives like we do. Am I making sense? We don't really walk it out what we're talking And I believe that's a huge issue because the way we act shows what we believe in. If I told you that I believed every time I I would walk out in traffic 100% of the time and never get hit by a car, your your next question would be like, well, go do it. And if I said, if I truly believed it, that 100% of the time I'd never get hit, I'd just walk out there, right? But the second I balked on it and said, no, I mean, I don't have to prove myself to you, you'd probably look at me and go, well, then you don't believe it. I wonder how many times Christ looks at us and says, you're saying you believe, but everything you're doing shows opposite. You say you trust me, but the amount of worry you're allowing to consume your life doesn't really look like you're trusting me a whole lot. Almost like you're approaching Christ like Martha did when she said, well, yeah, Lord, I mean, of course He's going to raise at the last day. But Christ didn't say He was going to raise Him at the last day. He said, your brother will live again, period. This comes after he told the disciples that this is not going to end in death. We say we believe biblically, but a lot of times our lives tend to show otherwise. And I do want to make this note that I'm not saying I'm not here to preach perfection. I probably say this every time I stand up here. This is not a to preach perfection message right here. But what I am saying is that eventually our belief in Christ, our belief in the finished works that He did on the cross, and our belief in what we read in this word should come should be so strong eventually that it begins to push out those things that hinder it. Granted, are you going to be perfect on this side? By no means you're not. But again, there is such a thing called sanctification. And eventually that belief begins to push out doubt, begins to push out fear, begins to push out these things that hinder us. And for some of us, it takes time, right? Show of hands in here who's been at this thing for 40 plus years and you still got God dealing with you on some things. There we go. (laughs) I was about to say, I know we got some. But then show of hands for those of you who know that you've actually, God has brought you through some things that now when you come up to it, you know without a doubt He's going to see you through it. See? That's why the Bible says we go from faith to faith. It doesn't say we go to faith and then we just start doubting and living the rest of our life on a roller coaster. Do you believe this? Do you believe everything you read in this Bible to be true? Do you believe this right here? That Jesus Christ died for you. And three ways I found that we tend to let it affect us. And number one, we, we got actions in our walk. We got our attitude. And we got our, uh, golly, it just left me. Beth Ann, I told it to you. What was it? Approach, I think is what it was, or how we see the future. Sorry, y'all. This is why I have notes up here, and then that's why I have chicken scratch. Outlook, that's what it was. Our attitude, our actions, and our outlook. And then first I want to talk about our actions. Because what do people say? Don't tell me how much you love me. Show me. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you love them. Nobody really cares if you can quote all the Scriptures in the world if you're not willing to walk them out, right? That's what we know. 
A.W. Tozer once said, you can be as smooth as a gun barrel doctrinally and empty as one spiritually. In the book of James, we find a very stark thing here. And I hope, I hope I'm not boring you guys to death, so just stay with me here. If I walked into the room today and I told you that I was hit by a train, that's why I'm late this morning, because this morning I went on a jog and I was hit by a train and it caused me to be late and I walked in here, would you believe me? Absolutely not. Why? Because I would look a little bit different. Still look as bad as I do, but just a little mangled. It's the same thing when we encounter Christ. We're not encountering a little Christ. We're encountering a big one. And when you encounter Him, He leaves you changed. God never. What what business is it of his, what saving is it if he saves you to leave you the same? That's not much of a salvation there. God saves you to make you into something and to transform you into his image. And here in James we're going to find a little bit of what Paul is talking about here. In chapter 2 starting in verse 14, he says, "What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works?" Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart and peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now this flies in the face of everything we've been taught for the most part. Because naturally, we know we can't buy God's approval, right? We can't do enough to earn God's approval. Because we're not good people in our hearts. We're not. But see, what Paul is saying here is that when you have true, genuine faith, active faith, and believe, and you are amazed by the finished works of Christ and what He did for you on the cross, it produces works in you naturally. Remember what Jesus said when He told the disciples, you'll know them by their what? Their fruit. Because when Christ is coming to a dead man, they begin to produce good fruit. And what Paul is saying here is not that, not that my works are going to save me, but you can tell my faith is genuine by the works that have been done because my former man wouldn't have done these. The former man would have told the person, like a homeless man begging for water on the street, and you say, hey, go get you some water, man, and walk off. What good is that for him? He's going to look at you like you're crazy. But Paul's saying the old man would have done that, but the new man goes and gives him water. And not just water, but living water, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times I feel like we don't realize it, but in our lives, if we're not evaluating ourselves, we're walking around every day and not realizing the faith we claim to believe in, our actions aren't showing it. Let me ask you this, when, and I probably, I probably beat a dead horse. I think I say this line every single time I come up here, but it's so good. You'll know them by their fruit. And seriously ask yourself this, the people you come in contact with every single day that meet with you, that talk with you, if they took a bite off the fruit of your tree, would they taste Christ? And I'm not saying, yeah, well, yeah, he's in my heart, so they're going to taste him. I'm saying, by your actions around them, can they visibly see that you are in Christ? Because what does the Bible say? That any man that is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and the new have come in. Can people tell that you're a new creation? I was having a conversation with my wife, actually. We were talking about it. 
And uh, we were just talking about assurance of salvation and things like that one night at the house. And, and I said, sweetie, but you know, truthfully, I almost am glad whenever people talk, because every, it never fails. If we go somewhere, the people that know me, they're like, boy, if you would have known Tyler before he got saved. I had one of my old school teachers here the night J.J. Jasper came, and she said, I want it. They told me, look, this is the true story. I got sent to the office, okay? I come back from the office, and the principal was so tired of seeing me that he handed her a note, and when she opened it, it said, uh, do unto them as Caesar would do, unto something like that. He quoted a scripture, and it was like, do whatever you want to do. It was like the exchange from... Uh, Pilate to Herod and then back to him, you know. That's what it felt like when Christ, they did that with me. And so she told me the other day, she said, and Tyler, when I read that, I was so mad. I was, why? You could have done She said, because I wanted to kill you. <laughs> and I knew I couldn't legally do that in this school. So, yeah, I was ready to do what Pilate allowed to happen. I was ready for that, but I couldn't. And it's the same thing with my wife. Whenever we go talk to people, they always make like a joke or something and say, yeah, Tyler, you know, if you would have known her before, though, you know, and they always make jokes about it. And they'll say, man, they'll tell me stories about her former life. And so, and one night we were sitting at the house and I said, but you know, I'm glad sometimes to hear those stories because that shows that we're a new creation now. That when someone can say, but they're not that anymore. That, because that always follows up. People always say, but y'all aren't that anymore. It's clear. And that's not a boast on us by any means. That is a boast on Christ and what he's done in our life. And we talked about that. And I said, man, that makes me feel good to know that people know we're a new creation now. That's the work of Christ. So what Paul is saying here is there must be more than mere words in our life. There must be proof of salvation. And this proof or the works is not done to earn salvation, but it's done from salvation, someone who understands that they have been saved. You know, if I gave you a million dollars, I imagine you'd probably, let's use this analogy, you go to a restaurant, what do you do when you want the waitress to keep coming back? You tip her pretty good, right? God has given us a pretty hefty tip, more than one that we could ever get from anyone else. It would be nice if we showed appreciation for it. The other one in here is their attitude. Our attitude on life. Our attitude towards Christ in our current situations. I, uh, I'm in no way denying that life is hard. Okay? I know life gets hard. I know right now in the church we have a lot of things going on that makes life hard on a lot of individuals in here. But if there's one thing I do know, it's this. That Christ is still faithful. Christ is still faithful. He's never stopped. He's never taken His eyes off of you. And He's not caught off guard every time something bad happens. And church, I think this is an important thing that we must get through our mind because a lot of times we want God to take us out of the situation, but we don't realize that He's right there with us in it. We don't realize that when David said in Psalms that, yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, that's where the growth happens. There's no growth on top of the mountain. Truthfully, if you've ever seen that, if you've ever gone and seen mountains, the higher up it gets, the less growth it has. It begins to die off, but the closer to the bottom, that's where the vegetation is. That's where you tend to grow. And a lot of times we're asking God, take us out of this situation, take us out of this situation, take us out of this situation, rather than asking God, what are you trying to show me in this situation? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to chisel off of me? 
I was in the back talking to Gage back there, and I was telling him, and I hate to say this because one of my coworkers is here, and I don't want him to take this wrong. But he told me, one of my coworkers warned me when I started my job. For those of you who don't know, uh, I work for Janitor Supply. The toilet paper and soap you have in here, you're welcome. So, uh, but if you complain about the toilet paper, Marty orders it, not me. So just <laughs> take it up with him. I'm trying to push new product, and he ain't taking. No, no. But I'm going to be honest with you. When I first started my job, it was very overwhelming. Very, very overwhelming to the point to where I hated it. And I was coming home stressed every night. My wife and I were kind of arguing a lot. I was just mad all the time. And people would say, man, how are you liking your job? And I'd say, man, I love it. And, but I'm gripping the table, breaking it, going. It's just, you ever seen the picture on Facebook of the guy sitting in a house with it on fire? And he's like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're fine. We're going to make it. That's how I felt. Felt like the room was burning. But I was telling everybody it was fine. And then one day I went to eat with a fellow brother of mine in the faith. And I was literally walking walking down the steps with him and in my you know how people are talking to you but you're not really listening to them you having you're having your own thoughts and I was going God why am I at this job right now why and we sat down at the at the lunch table and I was sitting there eating and nobody's saying a word at this point he randomly looks over at me and says you know God's got you at this job for a reason and you're going to see it one day and you're going to realize why you're here and it wasn't too long after that I walk in And it just seemed like that entire week, several customers that I'd met with were going through broken areas. And in situations that they really needed God or someone to tell them something more than what a doctor tells them, you know? I was running into people left and right that were having this issue or that issue. Some were spiritual issues where they were saying, you know, I just don't know if, if God's really for me right now. Because life's so hard. And it was in those areas that I realized, God, you've got me here for a reason. Because I prayed. I prayed all the time. I said, Lord, I'm ready to be in the ministry. I want to be in the ministry. I want to be up here doing this ministry. And God said, okay, you'll be in the ministry and made me a salesman. I'm in the ministry more there than I probably ever would be right here because I'm meeting more people that way and meeting more broken situations than I ever could imagine. Again, that's not a brag on me, but that's a brag on God because He has all of us in areas of our life. And, he, and we might not stay there. That's the glorious news. Now, I love my job now. Don't get me wrong. I hope you don't take me out of it. Really, I love my job. Some of you, you'll probably still hate your job, to be honest with you. Some of you will probably still hate your life circumstances, but it doesn't mean you're going to be there the whole time. But God does have you there for a reason. When we look in the book of 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 4, I'm going to read it off the screen because I have it in a, the ESV version. See, look at that. <laughs> now, now, granted, now this is Paul, okay? This is the man who wrote most of the New Testament, okay? This is the man who is world-renowned for being look, the guy that probably everybody wants to talk to, not myself, because I feel like he would see a lot of sin in me, and I don't know. The letters he wrote to the church, I feel like he'd have to write a book on me. So, But this is the man who wrote most of the New Testament, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ like no one else, was beaten and drug out of a city, left for dead. They thought he was dead, and what did he do? Got right back up, went right back into the city, and kept preaching. That's this man. And he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, remember what I said earlier, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies.
See, the attitude we got to have, church, is that this life is really not all about us. We've been trained in society with all these self-help books and things that life is about you. That God wants everything good. Now, don't get me wrong. He does. He wants some good for you. But let me tell you this. He is more concerned 100% with your spiritual condition than anything else. And sometimes God might have to, to do some things to us to get us to realize that. He is more concerned with your spiritual condition than anything. Look at Paul. <laughs> don't sound too good, husband. But I'm here to tell you, he understood that this life was not about me. This life was about the one whom I'm beholding, who bought me. And I know that one day I will see him. I sat right down here a couple weeks ago and the Lord moved me. Me and Billy were over here praying. And I was going to go pray for Billy. I don't know why I get nervous when I get ready to pray for you, Billy, for some reason. And it's because, it's because I respect Billy so much, you know. I really do. You ever go to pray for someone and you're like, Lord, they know, probably know more of the word than I do. Why am I going to go up and give my word? You know, but I came up to Billy and I put my arm around him. Or actually, he reached out to me first. It was like the Lord said, if you ain't going to pray for him, I'm going to make you. And so Billy reached out and was like, hey, man, pray. Maybe this is going to be the one that breaks. And while we were praying, man, the Lord just hit me so bad. And it just was, remember what we talked about? I sat there and I told him, I said, Billy, no matter what happens, here's the awesome hope you have. You will see Christ. You're going to see Him face to face one day. And you're going to see Him as He is. You'll no longer have to say He's invisible. You'll no longer have to say, I don't know what He looks like. I have to guess what He looks like. Let's see what National Geographic says He looks like. You will see Him face to face. And what a wonderful thing that is. See, that doesn't excite some of us though. Because truthfully, I love you when I say this, Christ isn't enough for some of us. But Christ was enough for them. That's why I say it's your attitude. What is your attitude towards the gospel? Is he enough for you? If everything was stripped away right now, is he enough? He's got to be, church. What did Christ say? You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. God is a jealous God, but here's the thing. Don't believe Oprah Winfrey on this. Hey, look, I'm serious. Look, if there is a burr in my side, it's this new age philosophy from these people on TV. And Oprah, I listened to her give a testimony on this. And she said, why would God be jealous of me? I'm poor. I'm this. I'm that. That's when I knew I couldn't serve that God. And I thought, are you crazy? God's not jealous of your possessions. He's jealous of your heart. Don't demean his love like he needs your possessions. Don't demean God's love like He needs your car and He needs your house and He needs it. He don't. What God wants to do, it's going to be done. What does the Word say? My Word will not return to me void. That means when He speaks something, be rest assured, church. If you throw it away, He's going to have somebody else waiting to pick it up. What did they say in the book of Esther when they told her? He said, look, if you don't go, God's going to send somebody else, though. He's going to accomplish what he set out to accomplish. What did Job say? I know that no one can stay your hand. No one. Church, this life is not always about this life. We must realize that there is another world coming. And sometimes I feel like we know it like in our head, but we don't know it in our heart. 
Because when we, if we knew it in our heart, we would do something. If we really believed it in our heart, we would live every day. And I'm not talking about, you know, we need to be witnessing. Yes, you need to be witnessing and giving the gospel. But even in your own life, do you pursue Christ in your own life to know Him more because you're so anxious for the day you get to see Him? When we think about the end times, do we at least focus on Christ and not the Antichrist? It seems like everybody wants to read the book of Revelation because they're like, well, who's the Antichrist? What happens to America? What happens here? Let's Look, that's important. I'm not saying don't look at that, but let's look at the big thing that Christ is going to come back. Whether America's here or not, whether China's here or not, whether we got no money or we have a lot of money, whatever, He's coming back and nobody can stay that. Nobody. Church, we've got to get to that point where we realize He is everything. And that should in turn change our outlook on the rest of our life. I don't know if there's... Uh, you know, we talked this morning about how we just got to rest on the love. And I'm about to be done here shortly. So y'all y'all make sure Marty knows that we got out a little early. <laughs> We've got to have the right attitude that it's about Christ. That doesn't mean that Christ doesn't want you to enjoy your life with your family. Okay, let's get that clear. A lot, Because a lot of times we think that that means that we just got to uproot and leave our family. No, you know what the Bible says about a man who won't provide for his family? He's worse off than an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. So I'm not saying for one second to put your family on the back burner and not take care of them. But let me tell you this. There is no more important thing you can teach your kids and your family or your loved ones than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the most important thing you can teach them. But there is no greater thing that I have to rely on in my life than the love of Christ. In John chapter 14, I'm going to use the verse 18. I'm going to use this again. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Church, that's amazing. Now let me remind you something. The people he told this to, they died. They died. Most of them a bad death too, a martyr death. But what did Christ tell them? I'm not going to leave you. Am I saying something wrong? Uh-oh. Oh, is it the battery? We're good? Huh. The battery? <laughs> he will not leave us as orphans. That is so important, church. And understand me, even unto death, even unto death, He's not going to leave you as orphans. When you are His, you are His into eternity. Point blank. And that's the attitude we must develop so that we can have a better outlook on this life. What did Paul say? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Now granted, I'm not here saying that, that, that y'all should all... We're, I would love for the Lord to let me live to see Him come. But if He does not, I know without a doubt He's not going to leave me as an orphan because I'm His. And He is faithful even unto death. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find this amazing picture. Sorry, I was slipping the wrong way. For those of you who've never read Hebrews 11, you ought to because this is what they call the great roll call of faith. 
This is where he goes, the author of Hebrews goes through and begins to talk about how by faith this person did this. Now, remember earlier we talked about works, how your faith is shown evidence by your works. And he talks about it again here, and he says in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. See, he had enough faith in God that he stepped out not knowing where he was going. Faith enacted the work. What was the work? He stepped out. He stepped out. It caused him to move. It caused him to follow God. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And here it is. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. How many of us literally wake up every day with the thought of heaven on our mind? I think a lot of times we wake up looking at our problems, don't we? We wake up, if you're like me, you wake up looking at your problems, not someone else's typically. You're worried about what's going on in your life. Why can't I get this right? Why is this not happening right? But we don't realize that it's... Don't get me wrong, God cares. I'm not saying He doesn't. God definitely cares. But at the same time, He cares so much about you that He paid a price so that you could be with Him in the next life. Whose foundation and builder was God, church? You okay with it? You want to? I try not to make her come up very often because I, I don't I always feel bad for Lee. You want me to tell you the number one reason why I do like for her to come up? Because I see who's sleeping. And I know when music starts playing, eyes start opening up. <laughs> what I tell you last night, Ralph? <laughs> Ralph's always got jokes for me. And me I think it was me and Bryson or me and uh, Andrew said, yeah, Bryson and David McNamara have a, have a fight in church over who can snore the loudest. <laughs> Ralph was, huh? It's Ralph. Was it you? I think I thought I was. Anyways, you get the picture. You get the picture. All right. With all this in mind, it should change our outlook, church. And I want to say this today because I know right now, if you cut on the news, it don't look real good. I know that if you walk out and you look at the news, you see what's happening in the world, it looks bad. I'm not going to sit here and turn a blind eye and act like it's not. Let's, be, let's call out the pink elephant in the room, okay? It don't look good. But now let's call out the Savior in the room. But I promise you, I promise you, it's going to be okay. And the only reason why I can promise you is because He's promised us in His Word it's going to be okay. We might, you know, they keep telling us, well, you're going to have to go through some pain during this thing. We might have to. As the church, we might have to. But He will not leave us as orphans, church. He won't leave us as orphans. Don't get so caught looking at this world that we forget the beauty of the next. I'm going to read something to you in Revelation. I want this to really grip you. In Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, 
See, this is the thing. This is exactly what I'm talking about. We want to read Revelation, and we want to hear all the, the out there and wild stuff, right? What about this part? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Thank you, Lord. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Guess, guess who that, guess who that, that is? That's us. That's us who are in Christ. That's us. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with them, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. How amazing is this? That this is after all the wrath, all the bowls, all the seals, everything. This is the, the final act right here. It's Him bringing His bride in and making a new heaven and a new earth that we get to be in forever and ever and ever and ever where there is no more cancer, there is no more diabetes, there is no child abuse, there is no abortion, there is none of these things taking place anymore. Does this not excite the heart of the believer this morning? That when all hell is breaking loose around them, heaven is being prepared for them at that very moment. This excites the mess out of me because in the last year I've grown to believe more in God than I ever have before. Because I see Him. In the middle of the chaos, you can still see His hand at work. The thing I really love is when all these high-ranking officials across the world right now are trying to make plans, they always end up looking dumb. What does he say? He's going to confound the wise, right? He's going to use the foolish things to confound the wise. When you cut on the news, you see the bad, but you can always see God's finger in there doing something. It says in verse 4, here it is, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now let me let me just make this clear. This is the same God who in the beginning spoke the world into existence. This is huge. What business would a creator want with the fallen creation like me? But some reason he does. And he said, and understand now these people whose tears he's wiping away, they're crying because of sin that has been in their life and that they've been committing. Let me tell you something, church. This is self-inflicted. How many times my daughter has come to me and done something that I told her don't do, but you know what I still do because I love her so much? When she comes to me, I wipe the tears off of her face. And I make sure everything's okay. I kiss her boo-boos, whatever I got to do, because I love her and she's mine. And here the God of the universe is saying to His fallen creation, I'm going to wipe away those tears. Even those you brought on yourself, I'll wipe those away. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And then down the line, he says this. This is so amazing to me. 
and verse 22. Let's go 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I don't think I gave you verse 23, Beth Ann, so I'm just going to read it. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is the light. Is that not amazing? There's no need to worry about flipping a switch. He is that switch. He is that light. I know, church. I'm, I'm, I promise I'm going to try not to go on a rant here. I'm trying to be calm here. But when you just believe in these things so strong, it's hard to stay calm about it. Because I know no matter what, I'm going to see Him. And I know no matter what, if something happened to my wife when we walked out of here or something happened to me, they will see me again. Hands down. I know. And that's not because I'm perfect, but it's because I'm resting on the finished works of Jesus Christ, who says in Romans 10 that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And I remember one time I was thinking, I said, Lord, but what if I believe and I find out that I, that I wasn't saved when I get there? What if I find out? And then it was like He opened my eyes. I looked down and the very next Scripture said, No one who puts their hope in Him will ever, ever be put to shame. Period. If you're relying on Jesus Christ, even though you're not perfect, but you're making the effort, you're getting up every day, you're walking, you're saying, God, sanctify me, help me shed this thing. I'm, I'm walking this for you. And when you're relying on Christ, be rest assured, weary soldier, you will not be put to shame. Everything is going to be okay, church. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you would, stand with me.